After training near where I am now, at SUNY Downstate in Brooklyn, in neurology and neurophysiology, Dr. Scott Abramson moved cross-country and joined Northern California Kaiser Permanente in July of 1979. He recently retired from the neurology department at San Leandro in 2020. And for over 25 of those years, he's been involved in the communication mission at Kaiser Permanente, which all started at Toastmasters. He's been a physician coach and communications instructor. His two favorite courses were The Secret of Happiness and All the Wisdom We Need to Be Joyous Physicians Can Be Found in Country Music. For over 20 years, he wrote a monthly column in Kaiser's newsletter on communication, such as The Three Most Intelligent Words of Physician Knutter, Why I Failed to Cure My Wife's Headache, and The Most Important Words One Can Say to the Bereaved. Several of these stories have been published in medical journals, and some can be found in video format on his YouTube channel, drwisdom.net. So for the interview, we played a few of his favorite vignettes, and he would expand on them. He's a fantastic storyteller, and as usual, a few concepts you can apply straight away with your patients. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Here's a quick message from our sponsor, Dr. Aaron Wiseman. And you can actually find an interview with her on this podcast back from April 2019 called Truth Prescriptions for a Better Quality of Life. Hey there, this is Dr. Erin Wiseman. I'm a fellow Dr. Podcast Network member, life coach, and mama three. I kick butt, I take names, and I help other high-achieving people do the exact same. And today, I want to invite you over to my podcast, Dr. Me First. It's well over 300 episodes, and each one is filled with inspiration and advice from amazing guests. So grab your wife, your mom, your sister, your best friend, and come tune in as we explore what it means to be a woman in medicine and a woman in this world. Because this podcast is a dose of everything that I needed when I was burned out, exhausted, and ready to quit it all. At the end of the day, I do this to help you feel more connected to yourself and to connect with others. I love to end my show with a kick of encouragement, so here's my favorite tagline. Your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you over at Dr. Me First. Dr. Scott Abramson, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate your asking me on here. It really is an honor. Tell us about drwisdom.net. Why did you decide to put this series of vignettes together? Well, you know, it's really not so much the vignettes, but at Kaiser Permanente, where I worked for 40 years as a neurologist, we had a robust physician communication program, and I was one of the first ones involved in that. I was a leader in that. And this really became a passion of mine. We did just a whole lot of communication stuff. And one of the things I did was every month for 20 years, I wrote an article about communication issues. And at one point, I just decided it's not really the website or the vignettes or the videos. I think it's more these accumulation of vignettes, bits of wisdom that occasionally I would record on video. And actually, I really feel embarrassed because it's not here's Dr. Wisdom, you know, he knows so much. Here's Dr. Science. And that's not what I meant. I meant this is Dr. Wisdom. This is wisdom that I got 
from talking to patients and talking to colleagues and talking to staff. That's where the wisdom is, not mine. It's theirs. And it's also because you had an eye for this stuff, like the fact that you had to come up with something new each month meant that you were constantly on the lookout for it, right? It's kind of like what we hear from gratitude journals, right? If you have to record something at the end of each day that you're grateful for, then you're going to have more of an eye towards looking for it and identifying it and remembering it. So the fact that every month you had to find something new meant that you were on the lookout for it. Absolutely. In every conversation you have with every person, with every patient, there's a story. If you listen. Yeah. Every patient tells a story. We definitely had to read that book in medical school. (laughs) A lot of us read the book, but we never remembered it. Yeah. But then we lived it. So here we are. So I love these vignettes. I loved even just hearing the way that you tell a story and the fact that all of us have experienced these things in one way or another are going to help us to view them through this lens of yours, this lens of improving our communication style. So let's get started. And just for listeners, you can find them all on drwisdom.net, right? They're all available. So I'm going to name it, we're going to listen to it, and then we're going to talk about it. So the first one's called, But Just Once. I wasn't in AV club in high school, so we'll see if this works out. Friend of mine, Susan, her husband was diagnosed with cancer. So Susan spent a lot of time at Kaiser Hospitals talking to a lot of doctors and nurses, all sorts of specialists. Bob died two years later. And I wondered, what was it like for Susan in all those interactions with the medical world? I mean, I knew Kaiser had given great medical care to Bob, but how did we score in the communication of that care? I wondered, how did we score in the compassion meter? Oh, said Susan, the doctors and nurses, they were so wonderful. They were so kind, so caring, so compassionate. But just once in all that time, I wish they'd asked about me. Beautiful. So tell us a little about that. You know, I think, of course, one of the things this is about expressing empathy, but even more important, it's recognizing the significant other in the room. And it's so important. I took dad in his 90s. He fell down. He hurt his knee. I took him to the doctor. And the doctor's there and he's interviewing my, and he's got this recorder. He says, which knee hurts? Patient says left knee. It keeps going on and on. And I was with my dad the whole time. He never once talked to me. And the fact is, if he would have asked, he would have known that number one, I was his son. I was a doctor. And my dad had some memory issues at the time. And because this doctor didn't even take the time to acknowledge me, I didn't trust him. He may have been a great doctor, but I didn't trust him. So recognizing the other person, I think, is so important. Let me tell you how this can be so powerful. One of my colleagues is a pediatrics hospitalist. And so he admits this young child to the hospital wards. And he goes and he talks to the mother and father out there, obviously very worried. At the end of his shift, the new doctor comes out. So he brings the new doctor to meet the mother and father. But in the waiting room, there are 29 other people. It's like there's that mother and father, the aunts, the uncles, the deacon, the preacher, the prayer sisters of the church. Clearly, this was pre-COVID. Yeah, 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 (laughs) it was. was. So what this new doctor did to each of these 29 people, she went to them. She said, my name is doctor. And what is your name? And to each person there, she asked their name. I saw a bumper sticker once. It said, be somebody who makes everybody feel like somebody. And I guarantee you, this doctor that night made 29 people feel like somebody. 
And is that going to help them in the care and the communication of the care of their child? Absolutely. And I think this works really well in outpatient visits, this caring for the caregiver, right? If there's someone in the room, I think it works really well for pediatricians. For instance, newborns, you come in with a newborn, ask every parent, and how are you? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. looks like kids going great. They're growing. They're feeding appropriately. They're sleeping. But yes, you're having these child. Yeah, you're not getting any sleep, especially new parents. It's so hard. It's so hard to have a newborn. Yeah. Or even give some words of encouragement. Exactly. Like you're doing a good because this is one of those times where you just feel like out of control. You have no idea what you're doing. You might have read all the books, but you're doing great. You're doing yep. great. Absolutely. Really powerful. And what if that pediatrician goes in, examines a newborn, blah, 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 checks this, checks that, and says, ah, your baby's doing fine. You're doing great. But, you know, didn't address the mom's lack of sleep or the dad's lack of sleep or their worries. That would have not been a good visit. They would have yeah. not been happy. And speaking of the significant other in the exam room, there's one kind of person we always neglect, I think, a lot of times. And that is the ride giver. I mean, in the outpatient clinic, I think these ride givers are probably the new heroes of America because they'll bring their neighbors in, they'll wait in the waiting room, they'll sit there with them, they'll take them to lab and wait another couple hours, take them to x-ray, take them to this, and then they'll drive. They spend a half a day. And if we can acknowledge them and say, oh, wow, thank you for bringing Edna into the hospital today or the clinic today. You are such a nice lady. Thank you for doing that. You know, how many of us acknowledge yeah. the ride giver? You're a key part of the team, like acknowledging that they are one of us. Yep. And they may be the decision maker too. I mean, you know, Myrtle goes out and says, I don't know, what do you think about that doctor? And Edna says, oh, he's really a nice doctor because, you know, he told me what a great ride giver I was and what a great neighbor I was. You've just enlisted an ally in your care. There are certain assumptions that I think our listeners are making about these characters when you give them names like Edna and Myrtle. they're of a a certain generation they're of a certain generation (laughs) yeah but you got to realize if someone like edna needs a ride doesn't she yeah yes edna needs a ride yes so yeah amber doesn't need a ride no you know (laughs) no lucas doesn't need a ride okay the importance of acknowledging the significant other the ride giver the parent not the patient, whoever's there accompanying the patient, acknowledging them and acknowledging their experience and asking them about themselves. So I think that's a good lead in with the significant other to the next vignette, which is why I failed to cure my wife's headache. I work as a neurologist and that came in handy because a while ago on a Saturday morning, my wife awoke with a headache. Now it really didn't seem like anything serious, but also know you can't be objective when you're trying to treat family members. And besides, my old chief once told me, he said, never treat your secretary or your wife. So I knew what I had to do. I whirled into action. I jumped out of bed. I ran to the kitchen, got on the kitchen phone. I was going to call the nearest Kaiser facility. I was going to arrange for a stat CT scan, a stat consult with one of my colleagues. I was going to take care of business. I was going to find it and fix it because that's what I do. That's what I do. And Pamela would be so proud. And for one, she'd have to admit that I could do something useful around the house. So I'm standing there on the phone, and for five minutes, I'm not able to speak to anyone of the human persuasion, and I give up. And so I trudge back into the bedroom, but lo and behold, Pamela's headache is gone. But she's furious. Where did you run off to, she said. All I wanted was a little attention. 
<laughs> sure enough, if I'd have spent that five minutes by Pamela's bedside, given a little attention, instead of standing on the phone talking to no one, doing what I usually do, find it and fix it, man, I would have been husband hero, not Dr. Zero. But make no mistake, this is not about just winning brownie points with your spouse. It's about understanding that sometimes our patients, they don't always need find it and fix it. Sometimes, like Pamela, all they need is just a little attention. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Tell us a little about that one. You know, in the 20 odd years that I was involved in communication, one of the big things that I think doctors that could do better is we are always trying to find it, fix it, and explain it. That's what we do. We find it, fix it, explain it. A lot of times that's not what people need. A lot of times they just need a pat on the shoulder, a little attention. It's like my wife's friend a couple of weeks ago went in for a mammogram and she says to the radiologist, she's going through the exam, you know, my breasts are kind of sore. The radiologist says, you need to lose 20 pounds. I mean, all he could have said was, you know, wow, it must be tough. Gee, it's, this is kind of an uncomfortable thing. I'm sorry. But he's tried to find the problem, fix it and explain it. Lose 20 pounds. That's the answer. That's what every patient needs to hear. That works yeah. really well. She went right out and joined Weight Watchers. It was just how great the guy was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we just need to give a little attention. I don't think you're going to play it now, but one of my favorite stories in there. And I think one of the ways I learned this is about the three most intelligent words a doctor can utter. The three most intelligent words a doctor can utter. So when I was doing my training back in New York, 1970s, I was in this experimental multiple sclerosis hospital. People would come in from all over the country for this spinal cord stimulation. And I was a resident, I was a low man on the totem pole. Basically what I'd do is I'd do a history and a physical and record the progress of the MS. And these people were desperate. They were in wheelchairs, they were cut down in the prime of life. And the chief resident who did this surgery, his name was Sergio Pacheco. And the patients there, they loved him. They trusted him. And I didn't know then, it was only years later, I figured out what he did. And the way he did this, he uttered the three most important words a physician can utter. So these patients who had cut down the prime of life, they're in wheelchairs, they asked the question that everybody asked, why me? Why me, Lord? Why did this happen to me? And Dr. Pacheco had the best answer I've ever heard about this. What he would do, he sat on the bed, looked in their eyes, held her hand, and then he would utter those three words. He would say, I don't know. I don't know. And you see, his patients, they loved him. They trusted him. Because see, they didn't want an answer. They knew there was no answer. All they wanted to know was, did you hear the question? Are you there with me? Are you giving me attention? See, and Dr. Sergio Pacheco, he heard the question. He didn't have an answer but he was there. How do we know if it's find it or fix it? Because many times the patients do want find it and fix it, particularly in say orthopedics. My shoulder hurts, make it go away. Yeah, I'm not really worried that there's anything dangerous going on in there. I'm not worried I've got a shoulder tumor. It just, it hurts, just make it go away. So how do we distinguish the patient that just wants to be acknowledged from the patient that does want find it and fix it? Or you know, do we need to include just a little bit of that empathy in every visit where we just say, you know, a simple turn of phrase like that sounds hard or that sounds uncomfortable or that sounds like it's been really tough on you recently? 
you know, do we just turn a phrase and then continue with the Pfizer to fix it? Or, you know, do we handle these issues differently? Brad, that is a great question. And that's a great suggestion that you make is about how to determine. And you're right, we're doctors. We can't throw away, find it and fix it. We got to do it. And I think your suggestion is a great suggestion. Just make an empathic statement. But when you make that empathic statement, you've got to let it sit there. See, because a lot of times, here's what we do. Wow, gosh, must be tough for that shoulder problem. But let me tell you what the surgical options are. But if we say it like this, gee, must be tough with that shoulder. Wow. And just shut up. Give people space. It's so hard. And It's so hard to do. Yeah. And you know what? It is so hard to do, but it'll pay off because what if that guy says, Doc, you know, the thing is with this shoulder, I know it's going to get better. I've had it before. It's gotten better. But, you know, my son's trying out for Little League and I can't play catch with him. And, you know, Doc, we're going through a divorce now and I only have partial custody and it's so tough. I want to be with my son. If you had made that statement, must be tough and given the guy space, you might have had a whole different connection for the patient and for you as a physician, because just imagine this, that routine visit of maybe giving a shot in the shoulder or prescribing Motrin and sending the guy to PT, that was just a routine thing. Oh, next patient, you know, click the box. But if you made that connection and said, wow, man, it must be tough going through the divorce, custody battles, must be tough not being able to play catch with your son. You would have had a whole different connection for you and the patient. And you would, I bet you would have walked out of that room and you would have thought to yourself, wow, isn't it great to be a doctor? You didn't do anything different. I mean, you're going to still get the Motrin or whatever you're going to do, but you connected with him on such a deep level. And as physicians, we have that blessing, that opportunity to do that. Yeah. Now that you put it that way, those are some of my favorite visits. Not that I enjoy the misery of my patients. No. Enjoy that human connection. Yes. Where I really get to know them. And that's really where the time really passes so much faster. Exactly. When you're really just connecting with someone and then you're going to be one of their favorite doctors. And that's the visit that you're going to remember. Mm. I'm not going to remember all the earwax I took out that day, but yeah. you know, the time that I connected with my patient about the tough time that he's having, he gets to tell me about the children he only sees every other weekend, right? Yeah, exactly. It's so helpful for them to be able to just share that with us. Yeah, excellent point. And, you know, Brad, you say, but it's so hard to not try to fix it and find it and explain it. You know, it's so hard. I hate acronyms, by the way. I never use acronyms. The only acronym that I ever remember is this one. And I really love it. And I use it all the time. I used it with patients. I use it in my personal life. Here's the acronym. W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? Just shut up and listen. I need to practice that on this podcast too. <laughs> I, I interrupt a little too frequently. So the next one is one that you hadn't mentioned in your list. So I apologize for sneaking this one in on you. Okay. But it was my favorite of all of them. And one that I plan to integrate into my practice. Also, good segue, because it also mentions your wife. Oh, okay. I certainly bring up my wife sometimes with my patients. Oh, you? man, absolutely. <laughs> so my wife had that too. Let's hear it. Lots of times, we physicians, we see patients with these harmless symptoms, but they're just difficult to explain. In neurology, we call these things the dizzies, the tingles, and the gurgles. And as much as we know these things are harmless, 
people get a little cranky because we can't give them a specific diagnosis. I mean, after all, when a patient comes to see a doctor, they expect the doctor to tell them what's wrong. My colleague, Dr. Lou Edelson, he has some good advice on handling this situation. He uses what he calls a strategy, my wife had that too. So here's how it works. Now, this is the standard professional communication strategy. A lot of us do it this way. Well, Mavis, it looks like you got the Hertz-like-Hell syndrome. We don't know the pathophysiological cause, but according to the Mayo Clinic, 98% of people will make a full recovery. Now, here is the Dr. Lou Edelson, my wife had that too strategy. Well, Mavis, looks like you got the Hertz-like-Hell syndrome. You know, we don't know what causes that pesky thing, but a while ago, my wife had the same darn business. She's doing fine now. So, in which of these scenarios will Mavis connect with the message? In which of these scenarios will Mavis connect with the doctor who gave the message? I mean, this is a rhetorical question, but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, pretty soon, Dr. Edelson's patients are going to get a little suspicious. After all, one woman can only have so many afflictions. Well, over time, Dr. Edelson's patients have learned that Grandma Bertha, Uncle Irving, Cousin Seymour, they have all had some pretty weird medical stuff. You know, I've been a Kaiser physician for 38 years, and I've learned a lot of lessons from my colleagues. This is one of them. It's the power of the personal. Power of the personal. And almost every time, it will trump the technical. COVID vaccine. They don't want to know the statistics. They want to know, did you get it? Yeah. Did your spouse get it? How did they feel afterwards? 97% of people feel totally fine. No, no, no. That's not what they want to know. They want to know, how did you feel? Anecdotes aren't evidence, but anecdotes are power. The human brain is just not designed to fathom these enormous, complicated numbers. But we understand stories. Exactly. That's why that one was my favorite, because I don't talk to my patients like that, but I should. I need to integrate that. I need to start. And you're right, Brad. Stories are so powerful. I heard a definition of a story the other day. Definition of a story, the shortest distance between a human being and the truth. Shortest distance between a human being and the truth. There's a saying in the Talmud, the Jewish commentary on the Bible. It says, why did God create humankind? Because he liked to hear the stories. And you know what? And when we do this communication training, of course, there are some people really that do like to hear the statistics and everything. And you get those people. That's fine. You can deal with that. But most people don't. And that's all they want to know. Like you say, Dr. Block, did your wife get all oh, they did? And they're doing okay. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. So instead of giving the Mayo Clinic statistics and all that and going through all the data, all you have to say is my wife had that too. She took the medicine. She's doing fine. And when Janice goes home <laughs> to her husband. Nice pivot. Yeah. What the doctor say? Oh, about this new medicine you got. She says, oh, the doctor says it's fine. He says his wife took it. She's doing fine. That's all she needs to know. So it's about trust. It's about trust. And however you build it, if you build it with data, okay, but you can build it so much more powerfully, like you say, with a story. Yeah. In my field, globus sensation. What is it with neurology again? The dizzies, the what? Dizzies, the tingles, the gurgles. Yeah. We, but we get the, you get the dizzies. We, oh, we definitely see our fair share of dizzies. Yeah. And then when we can't figure it out, we often send it to you guys. But yeah, we'll get the dizzies, but we get globus and throat clearing. Globus and throat clearing. And so I will definitely be able to say, you know what? My dad had globus and it worried him. 
It freaked him out. He thought he had throat cancer. And turns out, I sent him to one of my colleagues, looked down his throat, didn't find anything. A few weeks later, it was gone. We don't know what caused it, but the more he perseverated on it, the worse it got. But as soon as he found out that it was nothing, it just, it evaporated. So if I tell them that, without the frame of reference of a person and a story, it's not going to be as sticky. It's not going to be as effective. So I love that you add the personal. Sir, 93% of people that have globus, or 98.9% of people that have globus do not have any kind of cancer, do not have any kind of serious pathology. There is no mitotic potential in any of this symptomatology. You are fine, sir. You can go home. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to step into my office, doctor. I know of a chief in the Kaiser Medical System, and periodically, here's what the chief will do. The chief will summon one of his doctors into his office, and here's what the chief will say. He'll say something like, uh, Doctor, I called you in here today because eh, there's no bad patient satisfaction scores. There's no patient complaint against you. There's no medical legal action against you. Doctor, I called you in here today to tell you something important. You, doctor, you're doing one hell of a job. Thank you. And that's the end of the conversation. That is the end of the meeting. And, and here's something to consider. All of us are the chief to someone. How often do we ask those who look up to us to step into my office? When I was a resident, I thought I didn't need any type of feedback like that. I thought... I'm smart, I'm capable. This is before residence, maybe even before medical school. I know what I'm capable of. I don't need to go to a program that coddles me and tells me how good I am. And I don't need that. Turns out I was wrong. I was 100% wrong, 100% wrong. I totally needed that throughout training. And all of us do. So what's your perspective on that? Tell us more, You know, elaborate some more. It feels so good, doesn't it, Bradley? When you get a compliment, it feels so good, whether it's from a staff member, a colleague, a patient. But let me ask you this. I'll ask it to you, but just a general question. How often do you give a compliment to your staff? And not just day to day, we had a great day today and all that, but really a compliment, a real one-to-one compliment to your staff or to a colleague that not just the formal thing, thank you for sending me this interesting consult, we appreciate your business, but a real compliment. Wow, you! I can tell you really were thoughtful about this case. I really appreciate that. Or a compliment to your patient. Mavis, you're really keeping your blood pressure in good control. And Dwayne, good chloride levels there. Nice job on the chloride. I mean, we can always find something and this will enhance patient care. Let's say patient comes in to see you and you say, oh, I see the registration clerk, Patricia registered you. She's such a nice lady, isn't she? Of course, you must know Patricia, so you figure that out. And then the next patient that comes in, they say, well, I'm going to see Dr. Block today. I've never seen an ENT doctor. I'm not, I'm a little nervous about this. Patricia's going to say, you're going to see a really nice doctor. Is that going to help the care and the trust and the connection between your patient and you? And even before you see them, you don't have to do all the explaining and fixing it because they're going to trust you. And it's all by that compliment that goes back and forth. So whether it's our staff, family members, 
our patients, and actually yeah. as physicians, we're the chiefs to a lot of people. Yeah. We're in positions where it's our trainees. So we're that to so many people. So I think it's important. But how do we deliver that in a way that doesn't seem shallow, saccharine, right? How do we make sure we're delivering it in the right way, in an effective way? That's a really good question, right? Because is this just a perfunctory rote thing that's going to come off as have a nice day, right? I think if you can make something a specific compliment, wow, Patricia, when you registered George today, he was nervous, but he really felt like you calmed him down by talking about me. Or when you apologized to Nancy for running late today, she really appreciated it. So if you can make something specific, I think that's one thing that's really important. And even, Brad, in those patients that are coming in and things are just going south, just hopeless. You can always find something to compliment. I saw doing a neurology, we have a lot of chronic degenerative diseases that we see people just, and there's nothing you can do. They just go downhill. So I'm seeing this lady and she had one of those degenerative diseases and she was in a wheelchair. She didn't have control of bodily functions and it was just terrible. And I was about the sixth or seventh neurologist that she saw. And the husband was this longshoreman and he was her caregiver. He couldn't even remember the names of the other doctors, much less of what they told him. But there was one doctor that he remembered the name and he said, I love that doctor. I love that doctor. So I looked at the doctor's notes and the doctor, his notes were actually shorter than anybody else's notes. They weren't any more informative. He didn't have anything different to do or say. And I said, well, what exactly did this doctor do? He said, the doctor said to me, he says, Joe, you're doing the best you can, Joe. He said, I love that doctor. You can always find something. And that goes back to one of the earlier vin vignettes, right? Acknowledging the caregiver, caring yeah. for the caregiver, asking them how they're doing, yeah. encouraging them. There's not just the patient in the room. There's the village. That's right. We're running low on time here. So we've got one more vignette. All right. So we're okay. going to do If I Would Have Known. Oh, okay. Great. One of our docs was feeling overwhelmed, underappreciated, just flat burnt out. She decided to quit medicine. So on the last day of her work, a lot of us came down to say goodbye, to wish her well. And we all told her how, how much we enjoyed working with her professionally and how much we enjoyed knowing her personally. And at the end of the day, you know what this doctor said? She said, if I would have known that folks felt like this, I might not believe it. And here's my question. How come our fellow physicians have to be beaten up, broken down, and flat burnt out before we can tell them how much we honor them as colleagues. I mean, I think that's so important. I'm going to say it again. How come our colleagues have to be beaten up, broken down, and flat burnt out before we can tell them how much we honor them as colleagues? This is very similar to step into my office, right? This is, there's no reason not to tell people to compliment them in, in such a way that they feel appreciated. Exactly. It's actually the obverse of it. It's the consequences when you don't practice that. It's about looking out for each other, taking care of each other as being a family. Now, where I practiced at Kaiser for 40 years, probably a different situation from a lot of people from your situation, I would imagine, because we're a large medical group. And this is one of probably the disadvantages. I love Kaiser. It's a great place to work. But this is probably one of the disadvantages. It's if you don't have to be nice to people because you're gonna get paid 
your panel is going to come in. You're going to get paid whether you get two no-shows or whether you get three work-ins. So there's not that incentive to be especially cordial to people and make yourself available and work because it just means more work for you and no extra pay. I mean, that's kind of how it works. So we have to make an extra effort to look after each other, to be cordial, to give a compliment. Sometimes this doesn't go right. One of these young doctors was telling me once, he had a patient in the room who had a sort of a minor orthopedic problem. So he calls the orthopedist on the phone who's on call and he explains the problem. Patient is in the room with him and the orthopedist guy tells him what to do and all this. And before he hangs up the phone, the orthopedist says to him, patient is in the room and the orthopedist says, next time you don't really need to call me about this. Just Google it. How's that doctor supposed to feel? How's that patient supposed to feel about herself, about the doctor, about the system that she's getting medical care from. On the other hand, I have a colleague, Dr. Will North. He's a neurologist like myself, and he's just the sweetest, nicest guy. He's my role model. I try to model myself after him. One of the doctors told me a story about him. They called him from the emergency room. It was two in the morning. They call him at home, and a patient had come in, and there was nothing really wrong neurologically, but the patient demanded that she talk to a neurologist. There was no way she was going to leave. So the ER doc very sheepishly called Dr. North two in the morning, wakes him up, wakes his wife up. And the ER doc says to me, not only did Dr. North give me good advice, but there wasn't the faintest hint of irritation in his voice, not the faintest hint of irritation in his voice. And that's what we need to do to look after each other because we're family. That's how I felt at Kaiser. Okay. Okay. One more, one more, one more. I have, oh. I, everyone needs to hear this one. Everyone needs to hear, right. everyone right. needs to hear it, And then that'll be it. Okay. Everyone needs to hear the secret of happiness, right? Oh We're gosh. all looking for it. Okay. We're all looking for that secret of happiness. <laughs> and Dr. Abramson's found it for us. So let's hear Dr. Abramson's secret of happiness. I have discovered the secret of happiness. <laughs> now, this is good news for me, but for all of you watching this video, it's even better news. Because being the prince of a fellow that I am, I'm going to share this wisdom with you. But first, I've got to tell you how I came across this epiphany. So every day, I drive across the San Mateo Bridge to work. It's a nine-mile bridge, and because it's a bridge over a bay of water, there are no exit ramps. If there's an accident, traffic can be tied up forever. And that's what happened a while ago. Bad accident. I was stuck on the bridge for three hours, and my beeper was beeping, my phone was ringing, my nurses were getting frustrated, my patients were getting angry, and I was going nuts. I started to, to howl at the gods of bridge traffic. I, I was starting to commit aggressive acts on my steering wheel. I was going nuts. Now, when I arrive at work, I see Consuelo. And Consuelo, she lives in South San Francisco. She has the same commute that I do. She was stuck in the same traffic. By the way, Consuelo is our EVS, our Environmental Service Technician. You, you know what that is? That, that's the garbage person. And Consuelo, amazing to behold, is her usual placid, pleasant, happy self. I couldn't believe it. I said, Consuelo, you were stuck on a bridge for three hours just like me. How come you aren't filled with fury and rage like a normal person? How come you're so doggone happy? And then Consuelo laid upon me the secret of happiness. Dr. Abramson, she said, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I was not the one in the accident. And there you have it. One annoying event, two human responses. One's miserable and one's happy. Guess which one lives a life filled with gratitude? Secret of happiness. Secret of happiness is attitude. The secret of attitude is gratitude. 
Thank you, Consuela. So bridge traffic, problematic in the San Francisco Bay Area, two different responses to being stuck in that traffic. So it's not the event, it's that you can control, but your reaction to it. Recently, this is the first time I'm bringing this up on the podcast, but I've started in therapy. And the reason I started in therapy is because I felt that my responses to certain things had been inappropriate, right? Things would step me off that shouldn't set me off. And even things that a reasonable person would think would set them off, like bridge traffic. I wanted to get the tools to be able to deal with those in a better way than I was. And so my way of doing that, you know, there are things in our control and things out of control, but we can always control our response to them. Brad, I can save you a lot of money. (laughs) Let me just set you up with Consuelo. (laughs) Just have a conversation with her. But you're so right. And it's funny because shortly after that happened, it was a Friday morning and I was in Safeway. That's a big grocery store here out West. Every Friday, I bring in a dozen donuts to my staff. And so I'm in there with my dozen donuts. And there's a woman in the checkout line right in front of me. And she's got a whole basket full of stuff. She had about five kids and basket was almost to the ceiling. A couple of kids buried under the Oscar Mayer wieners. I don't know. So anyway, she's there. And all of a sudden, the power goes out in Safeway. Nobody could go to the cash register. Everybody had to put back their stuff. And so I turned to the lady and I said, wow, what a revolting development this is. And the lady turns to me and she says, I'm just so thankful it wasn't an earthquake. These people are all over the place. So it is about gratitude. And I'm not a naturally placid, grateful person. I'm an angry bridge traffic kind of guy. And the way I try to reach a point of consuelo is I look at it as the positive power of negative thinking. It's like Woody Allen says. He says, life is divided into the horrible and the miserable. So like the horrible is children were born with birth defects, plague and COVID. That's the horrible, he says, and everything else is miserable. So every day you should thank God that you're miserable. So that's really the positive power of negative thinking. If you were to walk into my office when I was working, retired a year and a half ago, but I have a little card on my computer and every time it opens it up, the card says, I am so grateful I don't have a toothache. Because I've had plenty of toothaches in my life. I've had implants and root canals and all that. And man, when you have a toothache, it's terrible. You can't concentrate. You can't do work. So I try to think, man, what if I had a toothache today? I don't. Man, this is a great day. It's the positive power of negative thinking. And you can turn it even more positive. You can make it the positive power of positive thinking. That's what what we're talking about. So when that guy comes in with the shoulder thing and you say, gosh, it must be real tough. And you wait. And the guy says, you're going through custody battle. Can't play catch with my son. And you go, wow. And man, you've had that connection. You, you have that connection. And instead of going out of that exam room saying, oh boy, another shot, another Motrin prescription, it's going out, wow. What another connection with another human being. My life is so good. I am so grateful to be treating these incidental omas, these routine, mundane, scut puppy type of stuff. It's all about attitude. So for the listeners, this is the first time you're getting this. You're all getting homework. One patient this week, you have to find a way to connect more than you otherwise would. Dig a little deeper. And like Dr. Abramson says, you have to pause. You have to pause and give them a chance to really, what is it about this that really worries you? What is it about this that really bothers you? 
this sounds like it's really hard. And then pause, take a moment, give them some time to digest it, reflect on it, and then come up with a response and build that and build that connection. So we can find more of Dr. Abramson's vignettes on drwisdom.net. And I strongly recommend you check them out. Any parting words, Dr. Abramson? You know, it's just all about gratitude, just trying to look for gratitude in the everyday, ordinary things. And that's where the joy and meaning in medicine come from, is really, it's not the skull-based tumors, it's not the cholesteatomas, it's really making those connections, giving someone, listening to someone, hearing their story, giving them a word of empathy, giving them a compliment, a pat on the back. That's what makes it worthwhile. I think it might've been Maya Angelou that said that people won't remember what you did, but they will remember how you make them feel. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and your contribution to medicine. And I'm sure that there are so many people in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond that are better for you having been there for them and there for their mentors. And now those people are going on to mentor more people. So thank you for your contributions. Thank you so much, Bradley. And kudos to you for doing this work on the podcast and bringing all this knowledge from, I've listened to your podcast. I've got a lot of knowledge from them, from you and from your guests. So kudos to you. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Step into my office. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks so All much. All righty. Before we end, don't forget to hang out with my friend, Dr. Erin Wiseman, over at her podcast, Dr. Me First, on your favorite podcast app, or learn more about how to connect with the queen of SaaS by heading to drpodcastnetwork.com slash First. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.